Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hello and welcome to another episode of Talking City, the Manchester City podcast from the Manchester Evening News. And today we are looking all ahead to the Manchester Derby. And a few weeks ago, it looked like this was going to be a crucial one in the title race, but City have been so dominant and United have been a little bit flat recently that it looks like just another game. We'll look forward to that. We'll preview that. We'll look back at the uh, win against Wolves. My name is Joe Bray and I'm joined by Stuart Brennan to discuss all things Derby. How are you doing, Stu? I'm absolutely fine, thank you. Looking forward to Sunday, as always. Yeah, well, hopefully it'll be a, a bit of a, get a better game than the last league derby, which was, of course, an Ole Gunnar Solskjaer nil-nil special. Before we get into that, let's look back a little bit on the, the win against Wolves. They made it 21 wins in a row, which is absolutely ridiculous. Equaled the club record for unbeaten games. But I'm, I'm going to be a little bit honest. I didn't really enjoy that game for a lot of that game. It was quite boring because City were just in total control. It only took until the last 15 minutes or so when City needed to get that goal that, that it sort of burst into life a bit. What, what were your thoughts on that game? I understand that. I think I don't think neutrals do enjoy City games these days <laughs> because it, it's like an attack versus defence training drill. You know, uh, City just pen the other team in, in the half. The other team just look to survive and then break away and get get something on the counter or the, via a set piece, as Wolves did. And I totally understand. Um, I mean, I, I know City fans who say, we're so good, it's boring, um, because there's no jeopardy there. You know, City fans are used to jeopardy jeopardy in, in spadefuls down the years. You know, that, that is, it's been their, their entire existence. And now they're going through games, rarely looking like they're going to concede. So I do I do understand that, that, that point of view, but, you know, if you're a City fan, having put up with all that down the years, to, to now have this team who are just so so in control and so in command against good sides like what you know West Ham and Wolves, uh, you know and they've been beating they've been beating Liverpool, Chelsea, you know the top sides as well. So it's not you know it's not just sort of like, like the poor teams and the the mediocre and the the upper teams, such you know the better teams like West Ham and Wolves. Um, they've been beating the top top six as well. So, you know, but it's just, it's just, for me, it's just wonderful to watch. Just, just watching the way it unfolds, the way Gradil has got them playing, the way they all know where they should be, the reaction when they lose the ball. You know, I, I noticed the other night, I mean, Adama Traore has, has, has caused City all kinds of problems in recent seasons. Every time the ball got to Traore, Bernardo Silva was more than you know other players were doing it but Nardo Silva was on him in a flash you know he was he was biting at his heels hassling him harrying him out off the ball and uh, you know just little little details like that which you kind of think you know just add to this this aura around Pep Guardiola about you know what kind of a, a manager he is what kind of a coach he is I, I find it fascinating uh, but I understand that fans who've been brought up on sudden blunder English football might find it a little bit dull at times when I say boring I don't mean it's not fun to, like fun to watch it's a ridiculous well you've been brought up on older haven't you let's face it oh yeah I'm, I'm used to uh you know, endless home defeats. So I'm not, I'm not used to that. Um, but yeah, I think the Bernardo point you make there is 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 a really good one because there was a point I'm, I I was I had my head buried in my laptop, but he must have done something. I think it was a closing down move, and every single person who was watching that game on Twitter tweeted the same thing, which was. 
Bernardo is so good at pressing and his off the ball work has been crucial to City's form recently. I think Jao Cancelo has said it before this derby game that the way that City are programmed now to win the ball back when they've lost it is sort of, you, I've not really seen it before in a team, the way that every single player is committed to winning the ball back so quickly. And, and that's going to be crucial to, to winning this uh, this derby game. And they've said that because United like to get the ball forward quickly and, and attack. So it's uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how quickly City can do that and how how important that will be to the game. But um, one more thing on the, on the Wolves game, and Guardiola touched on this on his press conference, is that it, it was the first shot on target and the first shot in the box that Wolves had that got them back on terms. Do you think there's a slight issue with City not taking the chances as much? I know they did in the end, they did well to win 4-1, but there was a point there where it was looking like that winning run might have been in jeopardy when City shouldn't have let Wolves anywhere near a point or or thinking of getting something out of the game. Yeah, I mean, that's been the story of City, well, from last season uh, and at times at the start of this season where they were dominating possession, not putting their own chances away then conceding whenever the other team attacked. You know, Spurs have made a fine art out of doing that to City. Uh, and and the way Spurs did it and the way other teams have done it in recent seasons has encouraged everybody that if you sit in tight with City, they will eventually get bored of hammering away at you and things will open up at the other end. And if you take your chances, you've got a chance of winning or at least drawing the game. And Wolves kind of revisited that. West Ham did it a little bit as well last week. Um, you know, they, they came back into the game. But I think what's different about City now, this is more like Pep's first title season, what the 100 points season, when you still feel that when the other team gets back into it, you just know that City will find something, they'll pull something out of the bag at the other end, they'll produce something and the players know that more importantly we're sitting there watching it and we're feeling it you can bet your life that the players are on the pitch, that Wolves goal goes in Connor Cody scores with a header, the first thought in those City players' minds a year ago would have been, oh no we've done it again, oh, we're up against it now and they might, they'd have gone on and drawn the game possibly lost the game uh, like they did against Wolves last season now the difference is the first thought in their heads is Forget that. We'll just go back at it. We'll get something. We'll do something at the other end. We, we're too good to be to be drawing this game. And they go up the other end and score three. You know, and it was it was late. It was fairly late in the game. But City in that first title season, City made a habit of winning games really, really late in the game. You think of Ryan Sterling against Southampton. You know, and Sterling did it in about three games on the trot at that time. Uh, and that feeling is back, and that is a worry for for the rest of the Premier League because you know they're not beaten these days, City, and they're not held easily. They they will come back, and they'll come back at you stronger, and they'll they'll do you some damage. Derbies, forget the form, forget the form. You know, if if form mattered in derbies last season, United wouldn't have won three out of four because you know City City have been the better team for eight years now in in Manchester. But United won three of the four derbies. City used to take great pleasure when United were on top of the heap. You know, in in the in the in the noughties, if you like, City used to go and, and pull off a result in the derbies. It was pretty much what kept them going there once they got back in the Premier League and until the until Sheikh Mansour's takeover. So you can't really use derbies as a as a measure uh, of anything, and anything could happen on Sunday because because it's a derby but you do feel that if City go into it on top of the game the way they have been they, they could do to United what they've done to everybody else and just squeeze the life out of them just pen them in their half not let them out and, and just, just win the game that way uh, United will be looking to counter which, which is the way they, they have to play City these days 
Well, that's that's the thing about this derby. It's going to be the team that's won 21 wins in a row versus the team that hasn't lost away in the Premier League for 21 games. So one of those records is going to have to go. And if you look at United's record in the last, I think it's six or seven big games now since they got beat by Tottenham, it's they've not scored a goal, but they've not conceded very many either. So I think they're just going to sit back in and say to City, go on then, show us what you've got. And, and they'll be waiting as soon as City do lose the ball. They'll be waiting to counter with all the pace that they've got. So I think it'll be probably one of City's biggest tests. It's going to be a different game to the cup game at Old Trafford as well, because City have, are on this run. They're on such better form than they were even then. And uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see how both teams set up. And I just, I just hope it's a better game than the last league derby because it, it, it was just such an anti-climax, wasn't it? It was, it was just a bit. A bit dull, but that was the stage of the season where City weren't at the best. United were okay, but not not necessarily. They were happy to take a point, basically. So I think now it's different because I mean, City are going to win the league. I think I saw a, a stat from Opta that the the chances of City winning the league are ninety nine point nine percent, and that was before this weekend this week's results. So I think a win though will really really kill United's hopes once and for all because I think Solskjaer is still saying oh yeah we've got a chance it's not over a win to a win on Sunday will I mean it'll just be a procession then from City but and it can also continue the fact that City can win the title as early as possible as, as early as next month if they win this game so there, there are things to play for I do think there is a title to play for but where do you see the, the the sort of the pattern of the game going? Because as I say, it was boring last time. The the derby at Old Trafford in the cup was okay, but United will want to to get a bit bit of pride back in in one of these big games, won't they? The pressure's on United. Like you say, they've they've got to win this game. If they don't win this, even if they draw this game, City stay fourteen points ahead of them. And you know how many games left? Ten? Is it eleven? Ten games? Ten after yeah. 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 Uh, you know, so United have to win it. But it, it leaves quite a dilemma because, as you say, you kind of think that United's best chance of winning it is to defend really well, defend in depth and counter. Now, Pep Guardiola probably won't do this because Pep Guardiola plays the way Pep Guardiola wants, which is the only way he knows how, which is to pen, it will be to pen United in, as we've said, and, and try and crush them to death. But a more pragmatic manager might say, well, you need the result, you come on to us. We're not gonna. We're not gonna do that. We're just gonna sit. And if you if you ends up nil nil, it felt a little bit like they did that in the in the league derby in December. Um, I mean, I asked Pep this in in the press conference. You know, some United fans were saying, "Oh, he's got you know because United had run three of the last four derbies." Pep's running scared of United. You know, he, he put Rodri and Fernandinho in the team, which he, he rarely does. Uh, and he, he had attacking options on the bench and he didn't bring them on. He kept Rodri and Fernandinho on there. And it, the result was quite, quite a dull game. You know, both teams were sort of relatively cautious, especially for a derby, especially the two two clubs who, who have absolutely been added bred into them that you attack. You know, both United and City have been brought up in entertaining football down the decades. So it ended up quite a dull game, and you kind of thought it felt a little bit. I don't, I don't think it was a case, but it felt a little bit like Pep was calling United's bluff because United had had success the previous season by hitting City on the counter uh, and using the pace that they've got to expose City's lack of pace at the back. And it almost felt like Pep was saying, "Right, okay, well, we're gonna we're gonna sit a little bit. Here. We're gonna have Fernandinho and Rodri, uh, and you're, if you want to win this game, you're at Old Trafford. You're Manchester United. You're gonna have to come and take it from us. And United couldn't do that or didn't do that, and the result was a nil-nil. Now Pep could do that on the Sunday. He won't because City are in a different place now. You know, I mean, Pep, Pep sort of 
when I asked the question, Pep said, no, no, that, we went there to win the game. It, you know, the fact that we had two older midfielders is 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 not not a point because we went there. You can ask the players what I told them. We went there to win the game. Yeah, but he's saying that the, the fact is City weren't playing very well at that point. So it, it didn't happen. Now, after 21 games on the bounce, confidence absolutely surging through them. I'm pretty sure they'll go out and just try and play the normal game and take that chance of penning United in if United do manage to get free. We know what what pace they've got up front with Rashford and Greenwood and, and we know the creativity of Bruno Fernandes. He can hurt City. But City have just been so good at doing this that you kind of think that if they're on top of the game, United don't stand a chance. That's it. I think Inform City are the, the the team and they're at home. They've, they're the ones who will say, let's let, let's go and win because they've got the point difference. They, they can really afford to take risks. I don't think Guardiola will take too many risks, but if they wanted to, they could go more attacking than they usually would. But I think Guardiola did allude to this, that the record at the Etihad against United isn't amazing. United have had some joy. And I was thinking back to the, was it the 2018 game where City could have won the title by beating United and it was a party atmosphere. And then it just didn't happen and United were were well up for it. I, I think there could be a little bit of a, a similar feeling. Obviously, there won't be the fans there, which will be a massive loss. But um, the fact that United could end this incredible City run they could postpone the dates that City could could win the title and maybe throw them off course and keep their 0.01 title hopes alive themselves so I think United will be well up for this but they are they're obviously on a run of what is it 3-0-0 draws in a row it's going to be uh, I think they're going to have to be much much improved if they want to get anything off off this City side but Let's now talk about how City will line up. And you posed the question that was unthinkable uh, after the Wolves game is, should Kevin De Bruyne start or not? Now, in any other scenario, yes, of course he should. But Mm -hmm. the point that I think you're making, I'll ask you to expand on, is that he's not been amazing in the last couple of games. You can tell he's coming back from that injury. Um, And to accommodate him, you've got to move Bernardo and Gundogan around, who were doing so well in the the last few games. And obviously, Phil Foden's been on the bench for the last two, so you'd expect him to come in. What what do you think Guardiola will do with with that midfield and attack? And and does Kevin De Bruyne, is his place at risk, basically? I I mean, I was being a little bit mischievous um, (laughs) putting it forward. But, the, the point I was making was it is now a serious up. You know, if if we saw the team sheet on Sunday and Kevin De Bruyne is on the bench, you wouldn't be sort of holding your head in your hands and thinking, what on earth? What's he, what's he done? What's he? Which you would have done at most points in the last five years since Kevin De Bruyne came to the club. He's, he's made himself such, and especially since he moved into that central role. You know, Pellegrini used him wider at first. Um, but, but since he, since he sort of moved into that that midfield role, he's such an important player, and he's the you know best midfielder in the world for me at the moment. Like you say, coming back from injury, he doesn't always hit the straps straight away. He's not always the player that that we know he is. Having said that, he you know the ball that he put in for Ruben Diaz to score last weekend was just sensational. He, he still he still even when he's not playing well, he can still pull something out like that. But Gundogan has been exceptional. You know. In the, in recent weeks, you'd have to say Gundogan is the first name on the team sheet. It was always De Bruyne, but De Bruyne was, was injured, and now he's coming back from injured. He's not hundred percent. So Gundogan has been the first name on the team sheet. You talked earlier about Bernardo and his work rate. You know what he gives you off off the ball. Let's not forget that on top of that, he's an exceptionally gifted player, a creative player, a player who 
who, when De Bruyne was injured um, a couple of seasons ago, was absolutely huge. He was City's player of the season. Um, and for me, again, the best play, best midfielder in the Premier League. Um, so, you know, given those things, De Bruyne coming in, something has to give. Um, of course, Cancelo comes into this as well. I mean, Cancelo converting from from fullback and, and coming up, he, he's done a lot of what Kevin De Bruyne does in, in his absence. You know, putting in putting in pinpoint balls to the far post, uh, putting in slide rule passes, uh, creating things for other players. So City could go into that derby without Kevin De Bruyne and still win it comfortably. We know that they went to Anfield and won four one without him. But Kevin De Bruyne is Kevin De Bruyne. So you know, it it just sorry, I've got people, <laughs> I've got people coming through my front door. I don't know who it is. <laughs> I saw that out in a bit. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, Kevin De Bruyne is Kevin De Bruyne, and he's exceptional. He's had two games now to sort of get get up to speed a little bit more, and the signs are there that he's getting there. For me, he, he does play. He does play, but it is still a very strong option to play without him, and that's the point. It's, and it's such a strong position for City to be in. You know, you think of United. If Bruno Fernandes uh, was in this situation, well, he is. He's not playing particularly well, but he's not been injured uh, or, he, or he's not out injured. If, if if United weren't without Bruno Fernandes, the red side of Manchester would be throwing its arms around and wailing because, you know, and giving up the ghost. City are without their best player, arguably. Um, uh, well, or they could, they could leave out their best player. Uh, and still win the derby comfortably, so uh, you know it's not it's it's not the end of the world if 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 Kevin De Bruyne doesn't play, but I'd play him. Well, that's it. It shows how far that you've come in the last few months of that they can play without Kevin De Bruyne, and, and they can also play without Sergio Aguero as well. So it's it's going to be a really really interesting team sheet, and and part of the reason why it is going to be so interesting is because for the first time this season, every single player is available to Pep Guardiola and, and that's actually the first time in his entire City career that he's not had a single injury in his first team squad or suspension that has restricted his uh, his selection, which I find absolutely ridiculous. In uh, yeah, this, There's more than 24 hours to go though. Well, yeah. <laughs> There's another training session as well. So for now. You're probably, probably going to on it now. Four or five <laughs> players will go down in, in the training tomorrow. You can bet your life on it now. Yeah, and we know how much uh, he likes a red herring in a in a press conference, doesn't he? So uh, we will yeah. see. But uh, I'd, I would potentially, I mean, I'm not picking the City team, but I'd, I'd argue that the balance is probably a, at the moment a little bit better without De Bruyne. I think that Gundogan-Bernardo com- combination is, is really dangerous and it's the sort of informed combination that I think could cause United a lot of problems because the midfield battle is always the one that has to be won in these games against United who have a strong midfield of their own. So I'd be tempted to put De Bruyne on the bench. Um, and he's obviously a great player to bring off the bench. Um, and you, like you say, with Giao Cancelo, he can push forward into midfield. How, how much that happens, I'm not too sure, because you'll need to sort of keep him back a little bit for, for the wingers that United have. But uh, I'll be looking at that team sheet very, very carefully because it could, it could go one of about four or five different different ways. Um, another dilemma that Guardiola has is is up front. Uh, Gabriel Jesus scored twice late on against Wolves. I I think he's been very very good recently, but his contribution and and sort of conversion rate has come into question. There's also Sergio Aguero back, but 
what do you think he's going to do up front? Could he play a false nine again to, to accommodate all these players? Do we know? Do we have any inkling? What do you think? I, we've got no inkling. Who, <laughs> try, trying to guess what Pep's going to do is is a, is a sorry business. And you you t- tend to end up with egg, not just on your face. You, you end up with your, your head in a bucket full of egg. Uh, if you if you try and uh, if you try and guess what Pep's Pep's gonna gonna put out, and of course he has he has done that against United recently. He's played with false nines, uh, and it's he, confused the hell out of Harry Maguire and and, and the other United defenders whether to to drop. They've had Bernardo and Kevin De Bruyne, and I think Riyad Mahrez at one point, all all sort of ducking up, put putting pressure on, then dropping off. Uh, you know, do you go with them? Do you do you, do you keep your line? Do you you know, it's, it has caused United all kinds of issues. So it wouldn't surprise me if, if he if he did leave Jesus out, keep him on the bench, uh, and and pull something like that. And like you say, Jesus has been excellent, um, but that little doubt about him putting away the chances that fall to him has remained. I know he scored two the other night, but uh, you know he's missed one or two lately as well. Uh, and you, in Pep's head, you can envisage a situation as in the derby in December, where it'll come down to one chance. In that case, Riyad Mahrez missed one. So it's not just Jesus, you know, mm-hmm. everyone's capable of doing it. But if it's Jesus who ends up one-on-one with the keeper, there's going to be a lot of people worried that he'll, he, he won't tuck it away. I mean, I, I don't think so, because I think Jesus is a huge confidence player. And having got those two goals, I mean, they weren't exactly classy goals. They were, they were two penalty box poachers goals. But strikers just love those. You know, they love snapping them up. And it's, it's goals like that, that that bring the confidence. And I think on the back of his two goals, personally, I'd play him. That leaves a dilemma then of who the hell do you leave out um, out of several form players? You know, you might have to leave somebody out of the front three. You might have to leave one of those midfield players that we've been enthusing about um but some somebody would have to be left out to accommodate jesus but i think he does so much work uh, i mean i called him the hidden hero the other night uh which is odd because he just scored two goals that were vital in the game but in you know i think a lot of fans watch the game and because he's not scoring goals the way aguero does and because he's not you know getting on the end of chances time after time after time they're wondering what he's for but if you just watch him if you just keep an eye on him all the time his runs the way he drops deep and pulls players with him the way he'll peel off and go wide and take a player with him which creates a space for somebody else I mean you've got players like Gundogan arriving into the box I mean Gundogan's made a speciality of that and he's scored a few goals in derbies by doing it as well you know Jesus is absolutely invaluable He, he creates for others by not getting on, not not in the way that Kevin De Bruyne and Cancelo and Gundogan do, but just by not touching the ball, you know, by doing work off the ball. And it, it's so selfless because he is a Brazil number nine and Brazil number nines, you know, going back through the, the decades, get judged on how many goals he score. Gabriel Jesus isn't being judged on that at City. Pep Guardiola is the ultimate judge on, on how, he, how, he, how he's seen at City and Pep judges him on what he does for his team. And for him to make that sacrifice of, you know, yeah, all right, I'm not, I'm happy not being the player who gets all the glory and all the headlines and scores goal after goal. But his goal record is pretty decent. Let's get that straight as well. You know, it's, it's still one of the best in the Premier League. Um, but for him to do that speaks volumes of him. You know, Pep loves him as a person. He loves him as a player. And that's why, because he's so humble, he, he, he'll put his shift in for the team. If the team wins, he's fine with that. You know, the fact that Gabriel Jesus, the Brazil number nine, isn't the hero 
he live with that. He lives with that because the team wins. Um, but for me, he plays. He plays on Sunday. He probably won't, but I'd pick him. Do you know what? I'd, I'd convince myself at full time with the way forward, and you just convinced me the other way that Jesus has to start because I, I agree with every word. He's uh, his, his all-round game is, is he gives City something that no other player in the squad in the squad does. I think is is the record that he's whenever he scores, City hasn't haven't lost either. So his his record is is still good, even though he gets a lot of what I think is unfair stick. On the subject of who starts, who's who's good and who's bad. You've looked into the uh, combined 11, which uh, which seems to be a, a now staple before every big game. And it looked uh, very, very blue. So you, in fact, picked every single player in every position was a City player. Um, yeah. So I'm thinking just for the just for a bit of balance, I'm going to throw, I've got three United players that I've thought could arguably get in the uh, in, in your combined 11. And I want you to tell me why they shouldn't do. My first is Luke Shaw. I think he's had a very good season. City don't have a recognised out and out left back. Why did he not get in? I think Shaw has been absolutely exceptional. Um, you know, we talk about Bruno Fernandes quite rightly and his, his figures back it up. But I think Luke Shaw has been United's best player this season with Bruno Fernandes probably. And if I was picking a conventional team, wanted a conventional left back it would definitely be Luke Shaw I think he's been really really good for United he's got a lot he's quicker than he looks you know it's not that long ago we were wondering whether he was having too many Mars bars and his days off he's technically very very good he's good going forward he's pretty solid defensively he's strong I think he's been he's been really really good and he's he's got to be up there as England's left back you know come this summer but the way I looked at it was if you're picking a Manchester eleven. City have to dominate. I don't think I don't think any United fan would would deny that. So if you have got City players dominating it, you're going to play in a City way. You're going to play in a Pep Guardiola way, and not in a an Ole Gunnar Solskjaer way, whatever that is. Um, so you know if you're going to play in that City way, and it comes down to a choice between for me Cancelo, although he's not a left back by any stretch of the imagination, he's been playing there. But he, he he offers so much, and it's the only way you're going to get Cancelo into the team because he's not he's not going to be picked as a midfielder. So you know, playing Cancelo in that position, even though he doesn't play in that position, for me would be absolutely essential. He's he's been one of City's form players in recent months, uh, and you kind of think in this team that's going to be full of City players, would I be better having Jao Cancelo playing the way he does as an inverted fullback, or Luke Shaw doing what he does, bombing up and down the line in the same way as Benjamin Mendy does? It's a no-brainer for me, you know, Cancelo adds. But that isn't, that is, that's not meant to be a criticism of Luke Shaw, because I think he's a, an exceptional player, and I think he's been really, really good this season. Definitely. I think of all the United defenders, he's the only one that, that would get close. Uh, if I was doing it, I might put Luke Shaw on the left and Cancelo on the right and, and put Kyle Walker. But Kyle Walker in, in these big games is, is so impressive and he's, he's quietly consistent this season. So I, I, I get the dilemma you've had there. And was it Stones and Diaz in, in defence? That's yes. the, the logical the, one. The only doubt I had was Laporte. Was, I still, well, I still, yeah. But you know, Laporte gives that a bit of balance as well. But uh, it was between between those three for the two centre backs. Well, it's not going to be uh, Maguire or Lindelof, I don't think. Uh, into midfield, it was a City midfield. I think it was Rodri de Bruyne and Gundogan, if I remember rightly. No Bruno Fernandez. No, no. Um, obviously, de Bruyne is is top choice. He's got to be in there because he's, he's like I said, best midfielder in the world for me. You want a holding midfielder, and for me, Rodri's uh, better than the you know Fred McTominay, Matic. 
uh, give, give you more all around. Um, so then you, you come down to one. So if, if you say it's between Gundogan, you know, really Bruno Fernandes should be in direct competition with De Bruyne, you know, the playmaker, the, the player who plays up the number 10, if you like, up in that more advanced position. And he's not going to get that role. So then he's in competition with Gundogan. And it's pretty close. Fernandes has, has been been really, really good. But just lately he's dropped off. Gundogan's really, really come on. And I just think... Again, it gives you that little bit more. I wouldn't argue if if you showed me a team and it had Bruno Fernandes in it and it had Luke Shaw in it. I wouldn't I wouldn't argue with you. I'd say yeah, that's that's a reasonable opinion, more than a reasonable opinion. But in my opinion, Gundogan has long been massively underrated. Uh, he's only now getting the credit he's due because he's he started scoring a few goals as well. But that that you know you, you can look at the stats that Fernandes has got. You know if you look at goals and assists. He outguns Gundogan, if you like. But for me, Gundogan offers that little bit more. Arriving late in the box, creating and, and just and just keeping the... Your number eight has to keep the game flowing. I always think of Yaya Torre, who was absolutely brilliant. Everyone remembers Yaya for barnstorming runs and spectacular goals. But for me, what Yaya did for that City team, he kept everything went through him, everything flowed through him. You know, and he just kept... He was absolutely mesmeric at times. He just kept the game ticking. He dictated the rhythm and the tempo of the game, and that's what Gundogan does. I don't think Bruno Fernandes does that. Bruno Fernandes pops up, gets on the ball, uh, and either pop one in or he'll 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 create something. Kevin De Bruyne does that for for, for the Manchester eleven and for City. So you need an, a player who can just keep everything flowing neatly and nicely. Gundogan is that player, and he now scores goals for you. And he, he he creates as well. He create you know he's always done that, but he he, he creates goals as well. So Gundogan gets it above different types of player, and Gundogan gets gets that edge partly because he's a different type of player. Well, it's uh, Fernandez to bring off the bench. Would he? If this team needs a goal, I think Gundogan, Cancelo, and Fernandez are up for the Player of the Month. So it's uh, you're not the only one who's who's got the dilemma to pick between those players as well. And uh, Pep's Manager of the Month, or he's up for Manager of the Month, and uh, Mares is up for Goal of the Month. So City have uh, dominated that as well. My final question: I think you're you're singing your praises of Jesus. Might answer this for me, but I wrote down. Edinson Cavani, just for a more of an out-and-out striker option from the United side. I can understand why Rashford doesn't get in at the moment, but if you're looking as a central striker, you've not gone for Jesus over Cavani. Yeah, I mean, I, to be honest, I, I when I when I picked the team, I, I saw it as a competition between Rashford and, and Jesus. If you're picking a striker, I mean, I might not even pick a striker, but I, I try to be... A bit more conventional, I thought I'll go for a striker because I think Rashford's excellent. I mean, I, I love him as a human being. I think he's the stuff he's done for the kids of this country is absolutely wonderful, and I, I adore him as a fellow Mancunian. I'd sing his praises, and I think he's a terrific footballer as well. He's not been great just lately, but I think looking back at Derby's in the past, his pace is terrifying, and it, you know I, I think that he he could. I'm not sure he'd be great in a City team because having a lot of pace doesn't really work with City because when you've got teams blocking off the, the final third you know you don't get a lot of balls over the top that, to run onto like like Rashford this kind of thing that Rashford thrives on so I kind of ruled Rashford out because he wouldn't fit into that city system Cavani has been a top class 
uh, goal scorer, top class striker. Um, I watched him the other night and I thought he was awful. Um, he just wasn't making the runs that, that you need to, you know, he was static half of the time. You look at that and then you look at what Jesus is doing against Wolves. Uh, well, he never stops, you know, talk about the Duracell bunny. He's all over the flipping place, pulling players all over, over scores two goals. So I'd, to me, that, that's not a competition for all the reasons we talked about. His selflessness. Cavani is, is, is a, is a, Typical striker, he wants to get on the end of things. He wants to make those runs and, and make things happen. Uh, Jesus plays perfectly for this City team. And because the other 10 are all City players, it has to be Jesus as a striker. Um, it says a lot that Romero isn't even in this conversation when uh, he's one of the best, but obviously he's not been, not been there for a lot of this season. So I can understand yeah. that. Before we go, let's uh, get a prediction from you, Stu. What, what are you thinking for, for Sunday's derby? Predicting derbies is extremely dangerous. Um, but I do think the form that City are in, they're going to take some stopping. Uh, and I would go for a... I, I think it'll be a good game, actually. Normally, when you've had one nil-nil in the season, the other, the other game tends to be a lot better. Uh, so I'll go for a bit of a thriller and I'll go for a 3-2 City win. Well, uh, I'd take that as a as a neutral, but I'm gonna go. I'm gonna guess that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is gonna park the bus again, and uh, I'll say one nil to City. But I, I don't think it's gonna be a, a cracker again. I'm afraid to say. And finally, we're, we've got a few weekend long reads coming again. What have you been looking at, Stu? What what story did Derby's past? Can you tell us? Yeah, I've been looking at Derby's past. I, I believe you've looked at. The very first one. I've been looking at ones since that have... Uh, because a lot of people say, you know, derbies aren't what they used to be. A lot of the players don't have that same derby feel about about it. But in days gone by, when when the most of them are Manchester lads who played against each other from being schoolboys, and then right at the top of the game were coming up against each other, there has been some... Uh, there have been some pretty blood-curdling moments, and I, I've tried to incorporate some of those. One player who was told that he... Uh, if he uh, if he played, he would be shot. Another, you know, tunnel punch ups, incredibly bad tackles. I'm sure you can remember some of those. But that kind of stuff, you know, real blood and thunder derby stuff. The kind of stuff we don't see a lot of. I mean, we saw a little bit of it at Old Trafford a couple of seasons ago when Jose Mourinho turned up in the City dressing room doorway and uh, and pretty much offered Edison out. I don't think anyone in the right mind would do. So you know, he still does exist. It still can kick off in derbies. But mine is sort of looking back at derbies in the past where uh, where this kind of thing was the norm, you know, where, where the players were at each other's throats. So, I mean, that that that's it's been great. I, lo- I loved it, actually, because it, it rem- I remember I'm old enough to remember derbies going back to the 70s. And it brought back a lot of memories for me of, of the way the games used to be then. I mean, now you, you can't do it. And quite rightly, because players need to be looked after. But some of the tackles that I've seen in derbies down the years were absolutely horrifying. And, you know, the players would get up and there wouldn't even be a booking. One of the ones I was talking about, George Best broke Glimpardo's leg. Double fracture of the leg, and the referee didn't give a free kick. It was it was just the worst late challenge you'll ever see. And the, the referee played on and, until the, the players sort of said, oh, "Hold on, ref, I think he's uh, I think he's in a bit of bother." It. So yeah, that he's looking at that. What about yours? I mean, when you told me that you were working on a piece about the first derby, that instantly piqued my interest. I must say, what what did you? Without giving too much well, away. It happens, you, it happens that the first City home derby was 139 years ago this week. So I think the 4th right. of March, uh, 1882, I think. Um, and that was the second derby between them, between Newton Heath and St. Mark's, West Gorton. And I think it was a winner piece. And it was, it was just really interesting to, to learn about how they both started. And it, they both started 
within about two or three miles of each other and the Etihad is plonked right in the middle if you if you look at those on on the map so it, it's a derby that very much started in the shadows of where the Etihad is is now and mm. uh, I think in the in that first city home meeting there was an own goal or it might have been the the Newton Heath one but uh, the newspaper report as well says that the Newton Heath goalkeeper was baffled by a series of impressive passes from the opposition so <laughs> Uh, hopefully we get some uh, baffling passes. This, it's uh, the other way around now. It's with City. It's the goalkeeper who does some. Uh, who baffles everybody with his impressive passes, isn't it? <laughs> well, that's it. Yeah. yeah. One. Uh, I also spoke to City loanee Lewis Fiorini, who's at Knack Breda, and uh, he had a bit of a slow start. A bit of a, you know, n- not the easiest move to go go to Holland in in the middle of a pandemic. But uh, I think he started twelve of the last twelve games. He's scoring some cracking goals. He's been likened to. Some of them have been likened to Kevin De Bruyne and he's got one cracking assist from his own half. So I spoke to him about that and how he's found life in life in Holland and, and all of the, the support that City give him as well. So really nice lad. Looks like he's uh, going to have a, a great career and he's playing really well and taking his opportunity. So uh, mm-hmm. yeah, that'll be available to read. So thanks very much to everyone for listening today. Enjoy the derby if you can. Um, and hopefully it's uh, it's better than that nil nil and uh, if you disagree or agree with the uh, combined 11 we've been discussing um, I'm sure from a City perspective you'll agree with the 11 blue blue shirts but let us know on Man City MEN on Twitter um, and we'll be back to hopefully discuss a 22nd win in a row next week.